This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, my name is Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And this is Food Stuff. Yes, welcome. Today we're talking about a topic that I've been campaigning to talk about for over a year now. Uh, the One of the very first food meetings, food stuff related meetings that we had, Annie was like, this is something that we absolutely need to do. And that topic is... Cauliflower. Oh my gosh! We did it at the same time. That was awesome. <laughs> a lot of people are probably hearing that. They clicked on the episode title, wondering why in the world would someone want to talk about cauliflower? Especially for an entire like half hour to an hour. <laughs> uh, but cauliflower, okay, I think I think the reason that you wanted to cover cauliflower was because of the substitutions that you can use uh, with it in recipes. It's extremely versatile. It is. It can do so much stuff. Also, as it turns out, uh, and I had no idea about this until we started getting into this research, but as it turns out, scientifically speaking, the plant is just great. Yes. Super fascinating. Can't wait to get into that. Uh, (laughs) Despite what Mark Twain said about a cauliflower being nothing but a cabbage with a college education. Yes. Basically, he was insulting the price point of cauliflower. Which I guess is fair. They're expensive. They are really expensive. <laughs> Less expensive these days than they used to be. But um, okay, all right. So so let's let, let's cover the basics here. What's what's a cauliflower? Well, the actual word is a combination of two Latin words: caulis, meaning cabbage, and floris, which means flower. So it's a cabbage flower. And side note: this is actually a very cute um, term of endearment in French. Oh well, yeah, yeah. 
my little cabbage. I'm going to teach you. Oh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, scientifically speaking, it's a member of the Brassica oleracea species in the genus Brassica and the family Brassicaceae. I hope that's correct. Related to stuff like kale, broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprouts. It's an annual or biennial plant. And it's so similar to broccoli that they share the same botanical variety designation of botrytis, a Greek word meaning cluster of grapes. Cluster. I, I guess it does look a little bit like like a cluster of grapes, the head of a... Yeah, I think in the way it grows. Sure. I, guess, I can see that. Yeah. Um, um, so, so it's got it's got these two distinct parts. Yes. If you have ever seen a cauliflower, I'm assuming that most people out there have. Yes. I mean, if you haven't, you've probably at least seen broccoli and they do look very, very similar. It, it, it looks like a like a... Vamped broccoli. Yes. Uh, every time I bring up cauliflower with my boyfriend, he always brings up the Parks and Rec quote where the two people are at the farmer's market and they're looking at the broccoli. And one of them says, is this a tree? Can we eat it? And the other one picks up the cauliflower and says, oh, this one's dead. It, it looks like it's been exsanguinated. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, the point of that being, <laughs> yes. you have a general idea of what cauliflower looks like. We're going to guess. Yes, and and so it's it's got that 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 head, the the white curd, it's called. Yes, disturbingly to me personally. Um, and then the uh the 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 sprout. Yes, the stalk or the the stem. Mm-hmm. All that green stuff at the bottom that you usually cut off, but it is edible. Most people like me just throw it away and just eat the curd part. Um, and in a mature cauliflower, the curd ranges from six to eight inches in diameter or about 15 to 20 centimeters. Um, and of course, there, there are also um, non-exsanguinated looking heads of cauliflower out there. Some of them have different colors. That's actually through selective breeding, not through genetic engineering. Yeah, which was a surprise to me because especially the purple one looks like that could not occur in nature. <laughs> but it does. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I think. Th- didn't they like find that one in... In Denmark, in a farm, I, yeah, yeah, that's that was the one that they were just like, oh, look at, huh? Here's this strange purple plant. Who knew? Oh, it's a cauliflower. Yeah. The most common color of cauliflower is white, and this includes varieties like snowball, snow cloud, cloud. There's green. Most people would think of broccoliflower. There are some differing opinions on um, whether or not broccoliflower is broccoli or cauliflower. Again, very closely related, broccoli and cauliflower. And green variety also includes the lovely named green goddess. And then there's orange, which has 25% more vitamin A than the other varieties, thanks to a naturally occurring mutant in a field in Canada. Some orange varieties include cheddar and sunset. I love that, I love that cheddar is a popular topping for cauliflower. And that it's also the name (laughs) of a cauliflower. (laughs) Both. It's very poetic. And then, And and then yes yes we've got we've got that purple one um which is uh caused the the, the color in it is caused by the same pigment the same an- antioxidant pigment specifically that comes in red cabbage and also red wine yeah I didn't look up the pronunciation for that one I would say <laughs> anthocyanins oh yeah no that's that's totally anthocyanins yes and and yeah it definitely was a just a mutant hanging out in Denmark in the late 1980s. Uh, <laughs> like started. you do when you're a purple cauliflower. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Lots uh, couldn't join the X Men, but um, but oh, became why not because <laughs> it's a vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair point. But uh, but a couple of the um uh like kind of brand names for these are graffiti, 
and Purple of Sicily. As someone who's been wanting to talk about cauliflower, loves cauliflower, I've only tried white and green. I've never had orange or purple. That's a shame. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, this calls for a taste test, except for the part where I can't really eat cauliflower because it makes me terribly sick. <laughs> and that makes me terribly sad. <laughs> and I also love how every episode we've done so far has called for a taste test. This oh. is a life what? I can get on board with. Why do you think we pitched the show? <laughs> Cauliflower is in season during fall and winter. Uh, it grows better in winter months, and it's only got a couple couple months worth of gestation, growing. Gestation is not the correct word for that. <laughs> that makes it sound terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very popular vegetable. Yeah. Um, according to data from the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, in 2014, the largest producers of cauliflower and broccoli, they're grouped together, uh, were China with 9.28 million tons, followed by India with 8.57 million tons. And then there's a sharp drop off with the U.S., 1.22 million tons. Altogether, 24.175 million tons were produced in 2014. But that's pretty different than the history of cauliflower would lead you to believe. It's pretty new to the scene, Actually, uh, certainly, certainly in the in the West or in yeah. in the United States and other parts of like Western Europe. Yes. And part of this um, could be due to confusion with it's hard when you're reading historical text to differentiate between the uses of the word cabbage because it used to refer to or it could refer to several different Vegetables. Yeah, history has not been kind to us in in terms of <laughs> no. specifying that kind of thing all the time. Okay, so let's look at the history. Let's look at what we were able to find out about. Glean, yes. yes. Uh, the origins of cauliflower's parent plant are most likely rooted. Rooted. Oh, see uh, what I did there? In the Mediterranean and Asia Minor, Turkey and Egypt in particular. And according to the Cambridge World History of Food, Volume 1, Cauliflower was cultivated over 2,500 years ago, either in Italy or on the island of Cyprus, or both. Yeah, but sure. Sure. Um, and its written history goes back quite a long way as well. Yes. Pliny, the elder, um, <laughs> he, he uh, wrote a lot about food, I'm he discovering. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're going to mention him about, about I, every once an episode. episode yeah. Yes. Uh, he had a first century book, Natural History, uh, and it includes a description of what is generally accepted as the first written mention of cauliflower, which he called Sima, C-Y-M-A. Um, he also seemed to like the taste, writing, quote, of all the varieties of cabbage, the most pleasant tasted is Sima. I don't know why I always read quotes that way. I'm gonna have to work on that. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, no, that's that's fine. It's it's deliberate. It's my quote reading voice. You're, yeah, you're 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 separating it separating it from your normal voice. That's, okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's very great. kind way to put it, Lauren. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. Um, uh, Pliny was not the only ancient smart person who was writing about cauliflower. Um, a couple of really prominent Arabic scientists working in the 12th and 13th centuries also included it in their works. Um, uh, in, in the 12th century, you've got Ibn el-Awam, who was a botanist living in Seville, Spain, which was a center of Muslim culture at the time, um, wrote a book on agriculture, which is 
largely considered to be one of the most important and scientific and thorough works on the subject of the era. Uh, it was translated at the time into French and Spanish and used well into the 19th century. Whoa. Because it was just real good. That's pretty impressive. He was the first writer that we know of to make a clear distinction between heading and sprouting forms of broccoli, which is a scientific thing that we'll get into a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, and, and his book included a full chapter on cauliflower, like a huge amount. He, he called it flowering Syrian or Mosul cabbage or mm-hmm. cornabit, which is still the Arabic word for cauliflower. I love that. Yes. <laughs> cauliflower has a lot of fun names for it. It does. Oh, the, all of the <laughs> bizarre words that we looked up before coming into the studio. <laughs> um, so then in the 13th century, um, uh, Ibn al-Batar was another botanist living in Seville. And his writing is equally lauded as, as thorough and scientific and was even more translated over the next few hundred years. And it specifically focused on foods and plant-based medicines. Um, his key work, which in translation is called The Comprehensive book of foods and simple remedies also mentioned cauliflower well now i wish i'd looked up what simple remedy he was saying cauliflower might <laughs> provide <laughs> i think i think the cauliflower was more on the food end and less oh, okay. on the remedy end oh, okay, from, okay. from from what i understand yeah <laughs> but but it was it was a whole bunch of it was a whole book full of like stuff that you could do with plants mm. um from the medicine end to the just eating them for good times and 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 I think, yeah, the cauliflower was was recommended as a tasty, tasty thing. <laughs> well, it is a tasty, tasty thing. And <laughs> that brings us to, if we follow our little scavenger hunt, um, cauliflower made its way to France from Genoa sometime in the 16th century. And we know this mostly through mentions in cookbooks. Yeah. French cookbooks. So French textbook author and soil scientist Olivier de Serres mentions cauliflower in his book, Theatre de l'Agriculture. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Uh, with this quote, cauliflower, as the Italians call it, which are still rather rare in France, they hold an honorable place in the garden because of their delicacy. Another French writer, Pomp, wrote in 1694, quote, it comes to us in Paris by way of Marseille from the Isle of Cyprus, which is the only place I know of where it seeds. And then in 1651's the Cuisinier François, a French cookbook by François-Pierre Lavarenne, which was a bestseller of its day, featured a use for cauliflower or choufleur in his chapter on sauces. And speaking of sauces, cauliflower rose in popularity, peaking during the reign of Louis Fourteenth, and the cauliflower of this era was primarily cultivated in Brittany, France, but they used a lot of it in um, really... Uh, rich, fatty sauces. Yeah, um, the descriptions of these, I'm like, I absolutely want to eat this yes. like, right now. It's I'm intrigued by it. Uh, well, take a listen. Yeah. So there is a cookbook from Manon, uh, and he's one of the most well-known food writers of the 18th century, but we don't actually know his real name. That oh. was a pseudonym. Wow. Huh. Uh, he suggested serving cauliflower in a heavy sauce made with ham, veal, and cream. Or in a stew of foie gras, sweetbreads, and mushrooms, which sounds very fancy indeed. I, I would, I seriously, like, we need to make this. <laughs> like, I, like, I know it's like a healthy substitute for, like, gluten products, but, like, man, I want to put some foie gras and sweetbreads <laughs> and mushrooms in a pan with cauliflower and then put all of that in my face. I love the idea of just the French aristocracy 
<laughs> taking this incredibly healthy, healthy vegetable. Yes, and it was a delicacy, this <laughs> cauliflower, just slathering it <laughs> with foie gras. Foie gras was the Velveeta of their time. <laughs> so it was a food product and uh, very cheap. <laughs> oh, it depends on your definition of cheap. I'm sure that compared to other things that they were eating at the time, it was relatively okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I bet they didn't really have to pay for it. I'm not sure actually how that works. Yeah. Oh, we should look into that sometime. Yes. <laughs> exactly what was going on with the eating habits of the... Who was paying for the frog raw? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to know. The people. The people being terribly overtaxed, I'm yes. pretty sure, is the answer to that question. <laughs> what a sad investigative episode that would be. Yeah. I think a lot of our ideas are really depressing. Like, we have, like, little little star marks next to some of them that are like, this is going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we've, we've got one of those coming up. It's about sugar and nutrition. Yeah, look for it, guys. Mm-hmm. But cauliflower is actually not that depressing. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's probably one of the best reviews cauliflower's ever gotten. Yeah. Not that depressing. Not that depressing. Around the same time cauliflower was entering uh France, it was entering England. Um it appeared on a list of 18 colworts, which I believe is the word for cabbage at the time. Mhm. I'll get more into that in a second. As Cauliflory in 1633, and it was sold in London markets as the Cypress Colwort as early as 1586. So that name pretty much tells us it probably was introduced to them by Italy. Mm-hmm. And that thing I talked about earlier at the beginning of this history segment about the trouble differentiating between cabbage types and historical text. Well, in Elizabethan English, the whole head of a cabbage plant um, was called a cabbage, and then the entire plant with the stem was called a colwort. Huh. And this was applied to all types of cabbage, which included cauliflower. I love colwort. This is another fun name that cauliflower yeah. gets to enjoy. And, and would also be itself. a lovely term of endearment. I'm like, <laughs> colwort. A little colwort. <laughs> I do like it. <laughs> Um, fr- from there, we're actually not really sure when exactly cauliflower made it over to North America. Some research suggests that it was being grown in Haiti as early as 1565, having come over with the slave trade at that point. Um, certainly by the late 1700s, it was showing up in American cookbooks, and uh, several varieties can be found in seed catalogs from the 1860s. But the commercial industry really kicked off in the U.S. in the late teens and or early 20s, um, which seems like such a long time from from how popular it had been for so long in Italy. I know. I was very surprised to learn that, that it wasn't until 1920 that Americans were eating cauliflower. That's... Like, like widely, yeah. Um, it, it was definitely Italian immigrants to California, though, who grew the first uh, commercial broccoli in the U.S. And it was around the same time that cauliflower started taking off. So, so... Like, total personal conjecture, but, like, I'm assuming that it was just Italy's fault as well, in general. <laughs> blame Italy. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> for, for delicious things, blame Italy. Yes. Uh, one of the reasons for cauliflower's late entry into the American commercial market could be due to the assumption that cauliflower would be as easy to grow in the U.S. as its relative cabbage, which turned out not to be true at all. Um, 
Because of this, many farmers viewed cauliflower as difficult to grow, not going to waste my time with it. But in reality, it's just uh, better suited to certain areas of the United States. Uh, like California, where the weather conditions better allow for the, for the sweet spot of growing cauliflower, which is like 65 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit, a.k.a. 18 to 20 degrees Celsius, um, which is real specific. And like mm-hmm. a, definitely a California thing, like not <laughs> that doesn't repeat throughout many areas in the United States. So I can see where people are having problems with it. Um, mm-hmm. It is still the top grower of cauliflower in the U.S., Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations, California. <laughs> You're finally making it. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Keep on keeping on. I did read several growing guides for cauliflower that were published specifically for United States farmers. And it did sound very complicated, like they were having trouble figuring it out. One of these was written by H.M. Stringfellow, which is... Just a great name. Um, he wrote in 1896's The New Horticulture, quote, There is no vegetable, the cultivation of which is more generally neglected than that of the, hold on, cauliflower. Oh, I should have been able to guess that. <laughs> Are you talking about again? Um, Velveeta? Soon, yes. Continued quote, this is not because it is not considered a valuable addition to any garden, but from a mistaken notion that it is a very difficult vegetable, <laughs> vegetable, vegetable to raise. For those that did raise it due to the relative lack of competition, cauliflower wasn't as subject to price fluctuations as other vegetables. And the author of A Manual of Vegetable Plants, Isaac F. Tillinghast, wrote... Also a great name. Yes. So many good names. Uh-huh. Uh, there has undoubtedly been more money made by the cultivation of the cauliflower per acre than by any other vegetable yet discovered. So it was expensive then? It's expensive now. Yeah. Some things never change. <laughs> <laughs> of course, also, um, cauliflower is grown in India. Yes. The British brought cauliflower over to India in 1822. And the seeds were planted during May, July, which were the growing months in England. But... As I'm sure you can guess, the climate was much hotter in India during this time period and in general. And this eventually resulted in the creation of strains that were um, more heat resistant. And they flowered at or above 20 degrees Celsius, 68 degrees Fahrenheit, as opposed to below that temperature for European varieties. And they also matured more quickly. Huh. Yeah. And uh, in India, they still enjoy cauliflower. In a lot of their dishes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, alu Golbi is one that, one that I think, I think that's the one with cauliflower and yeah. potatoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of spicy stuff. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a brief, in a nutshell, look at the history of cauliflower. When we return from a short word from our sponsor, we'll look into what cauliflower is up to now. So stick around. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. 
And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we're back. So let's take a look at uh, modern day. What's going on with cauliflower right now? Uh, well, um, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, if you if you just type cauliflower culture into Google, you, you get a rather surprising first result. It is a store selling gear for jujitsu. <laughs> I would I would love I I love marketing, man. I <laughs> I want to know what was going on with that one. Um, but, <laughs> but beyond that one, um, uh, we found out about an annual cauliflower festival that happens up in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, in Margaretville, New York, they have an annual, you just said that, cauliflower festival celebrating farming, cooking, and culture in the past, present, and future of the Catskill Mountains. That is a quote from their website. Uh, and according to their mission statement, why the heck do we do this? Uh, <laughs> the history of cauliflower and the many dairy farmers who benefited from this cash crop to supplement their income is celebrated at this annual event. I was going to try to pitch that we should go to this festival, but it is in September, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Uh, it sounds like it's pretty similar to any small town festival, but they do have a tractor parade, which I have not really heard of, but I totally believe is a thing. Oh, yeah. And they have all the cauliflower you could ever want to buy, <laughs> unless you want a literal ton of it. It is a small town. Okay. Yeah. Like half ton, maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when we were looking into to getting some, like, special cauliflower in, it was it was like, well, you oh, can either buy, like, really like 15 heads or nothing. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. um, cauliflower was first cultivated in Margaretville, New York. In 1891, by William F. Van Benschoten, <laughs> and it thrived uh, 
report that during its heyday, cauliflower prices were front page news in their newspapers. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's, you know, no, you're, you're, it, you're a farming community. It totally makes sense. Yeah. I very much enjoy the image in my head of headline cauliflower 362 ahead. <laughs> Just three exclamation points. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that was, that that was the most news, newsworthy thing going on in your community. Like, especially by the standards of news these days. <laughs> yeah. Those were, uh, simpler, simpler. cauliflower based times. <laughs> uh, another thing I found when I was looking up random cauliflower culture things, uh, was the story of Bernard Loiseau, who's a three-star chef and the subject of Rudolf Chiminsky's, Chiminsky's? The Perfectionist, Life and Death and Hulk Cuisine. Um, and he, uh, Bernard, Bernard, not- the subject of the book, he committed suicide when he couldn't uplift cauliflower into what he believed would have been a truly stellar side dish by caramelizing it. Which, which, which is so sad on so many levels. Yeah. And it points to a larger conversation we'll probably have in a future episode about um, perfectionism in cooking and the pressures put on chefs to be a destination and keep their stars. Their Michelin stars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, this just happened back in 2003 and it's certainly not the only time that, uh, that a chef of that level and notoriety has been, or fa- famousness notoriety has a little bit of a negative connotation yeah. there. Um, but, uh, but, but it's not, it's not the only chef who's been driven to that kind of extreme measure. Um, so yeah, ho- hopefully we'll do a not entirely depressing episode about it sometime, sometime in the future. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note though. Yes, uh, that science stuff we were talking about earlier. Let's talk about that. Yeah, um, ca- cauliflower has this, this this amazing mathematical thing going on with it. Um, it's it's one of the plants that grows in fractal shapes. Uh, fractals, of course, are sets of data that contain repeating patterns at every scale, and and visually, this means that that complex shapes look pretty much the same. At a wide range of scales, like a, like a small piece of the shape looks pretty similar to the whole structure. Um, in math, fractals can be infinite, but of course, in nature, they're limited to a few repeats of the pattern because vegetables are not infinite. Nope. <laughs> Modeling natural fractals is a subject of interest to some mathematicians, and a group of researchers out of Korea published a paper about cauliflower's fractal structure in 2005. They, they they looked into it and they found that a cauliflower's fractal dimension is about 2.8, which is a specific thing that, that means that this fractal pattern that cauliflower grows in is a two-dimensional surface that fills space almost like a three-dimensional volume, which is interesting because it gives us an idea of exactly how complex the mathematics behind this natural growth of this thing Mm-hmm. Is The researchers at the time were unable to determine the exact mathematical formula for how this structure propagates, but, um, but further research done out of France and Spain and Belgium that was published in 2012 fully described cauliflower and cauliflower-like patterns of fractal growth. They came to their conclusion by, um, by using chemical vapor deposition to, to create these thin, complex films of chemicals laid out in cauliflower type patterns, um, uh, chemical, uh, vapor deposition is sort of like, like microscopic 3D printing. <laughs> um, of course it is. Based on chemistry rather than like, like literal laying down of like ink kind of, kind of things. Uh, mm-hmm. and so they, they did this. They carefully measured everything that was going on with these resulting films. 
And then they checked those measurements of those films back against actual cauliflower and the math all fit. And this is real cool because a, a yay math, but, but B, <laughs> B, uh, cauliflower like fractal patterns occur in, in lots of places in nature and can also be used to describe other complex systems like, like weather and even human behavior, like, like stock markets and stuff like that. Um, chaos theory. Uh, if, if you read Jurassic Park, then, yep. then you might. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so knowing this can, um, can help us figure out when dinosaurs are going to break loose and wreak havoc and also, um, identify and manipulate patterns that are, that are happening in, in biology and physics and anything else that has a big weird data set, which in these are modern internet times is like everything. Yes. So. Cauliflower is the key cauliflower. to understanding everything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the picture example used to demonstrate fractals in cauliflower is almost always a picture of a Romanesco cauliflower, but some people say it's broccoli. Um, well, because it's green, but it's really a cauliflower. Yes. I mean, but probably. <laughs> yes. There's there's bot- botanists. We're or... saying it's cauliflower. Yeah. And we are the authority on this. Dag Nabbit. Um, they're really... If you've never seen one, and I hadn't before I researched this, they're really kind of mesmerizing green variants of cauliflower that have like offshoots, like spikes. Yeah, uh, go go Google this if you if y'all never have seen one either before. Mm-hmm. This is what we were looking up earlier when we were saying we were going to buy cauliflower by the ton because <laughs> apparently I wanted to see one and I couldn't find one anywhere, so we we went online. Yeah. And, and for and for only 150 bucks, we could have gotten 24, <laughs> 24 Romanesco cauliflower. Um, they're reported to be crunchier and less bland than regular cauliflower, and to have a slightly nutty taste. Um, supposedly in German, they're called a uh, Pyrmidenblumenkohl. <laughs> I'm really impressed right now. <laughs> um, my last name's Vogelbaum. <laughs> like I have, well, that word is I would say almost 20 letters long. <laughs> Although, although I couldn't find a, a pronunciation guide in German, I, all I could find was like blogs saying that that's what they're called in German. So it might, this might be an apocryphal internet story. I'm not sure, y'all. Um, I sincerely hope it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. And this fractal dimension thing is one of the ways cauliflower is different than other plants in the coal family because it doesn't typically produce flowers. Instead, it generates replicas of itself in a spiral pattern, and each new meristem, or shoot or growth, in turn can produce more all the way out to the 10th order, giving cauliflower um, its tightly packed geometric shape. Lord and I are again both making hand gestures as I explain this. I love it. It's uh, very important. It helps so much it, for the it audio. It does. It does. <laughs> it helps us. Yes. Um, some scientists wanted to find out precisely why that was, and in 1995, a couple of mutant genes that generated cauliflower-like heads were discovered in a laboratory plant named Arabidopsis. Yes. Yes. I think so. Okay. The cauliflower we eat has this same mutant gene, and what those mutant genes do is create copies of themselves indefinitely. Huh. Yes. One, one of the genes, by the way, is scientifically named cauliflower. Appropriate. But, yeah. A- a- abbreviation uh, C-A-L. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking to yourself, hmm, well, that's interesting. But so what? <laughs> These results have broader implications for how we could design food, including new vegetables, instead of waiting 
for genetic mutations instead of waiting for the purple cauliflower to suddenly appear mm-hmm. in the field in Denmark. Yeah. Uh, another thing I found in, in the same vein is cloning cauliflower. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of uh, university students do yeah. this in class. Mm-hmm. I watched a little demonstration. It was super interesting. Uh, it's an exercise used to demonstrate totipotency and micropropagation, which is the regeneration of a whole plant from small pieces of that plant. Um, and since cauliflower is mostly made up of actively dividing cells, it mm-hmm. was a logical choice to use sure. to do this. So the, the students would cut off a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of a floret, and then uh, they'd put it in a... Well, they disinfect it to make sure there was nothing going to mess with it. And then they'd put it in a growth medium. And then they'd wait for the cauliflower to clone itself. And, and eventually they'd wind up with basically another head of cauliflower. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, and that obviously could be used for many, many applications. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also good to know. Um, if, you, <laughs> if you've got some growth medium at home. Yeah. You could be growing your own cauliflower in no time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but of course, uh, not all of us were introduced to cauliflower in a lab setting. No. And one of the first things I wanted to know when I started researching this was why in the world is cauliflower associated with Velveeta? Because my personal introduction to cauliflower and the only way I had it until I got into college oh. was like soggy overcooked cauliflower covered in Velveeta cheese. So... I wanted to know <laughs> why in the world that became a thing. Um, I think the answer is mar- marketing. Yeah. It turns out to be much more of a story about Velveeta and how they were able to quite successfully, and I will say impressively, market themselves as a health food that kids would love. And it'll get them to eat their vegetables no matter how gross, including cauliflower. Yeah. Yeah, just... Oh, uh A, pasteurized cheese food products like Velveeta are fascinating, and we should absolutely do things about that. Um, But but yeah, Velveeta as a company is is really hull. Um, (laughs) A health food. Yeah, I'm I'm just sticking on that. Um, Although although, uh, American recipes for cauliflower, dating all the way back to the 1820s, do recommend serving the stuff with uh, with like, like caramelized Parmesan on top. Or, or even for, for using cauliflower as a substitute for macaroni and macaroni and cheese. So, so smothering cauliflower and cheese is not a new idea. I think covering foods and cheese <laughs> that maybe you aren't super psyched to eat. <laughs> or just, or that you are super psyched to eat. It improves, it improves things. Cheese improves generally. everything. Generally, yes. Yeah. So it's easy to see. Why adding cheese to cauliflower was a thing. Uh, but cauliflower is broken free from this, from being just a food you eat slathered with cheese product, and is having a bit of a moment. Uh, L.U.K., the magazine, named it the hipster food of the year in 2016 in an article titled, Cauliflower is cool, period. Yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> And similarly, a 2016 article from the Washington Post read, Cauliflower is so hot right now, you may not be able to afford it, 
or find it. Mm -hmm. And it described how drops in temperature led to cauliflower shortage just as it became the vegetable. And it caused the price to rise in some areas to about $8 for one head. $8. That's that's more than I I mean... See above, like it makes me really sick, but I, <laughs> so I definitely wouldn't, but, but still, that's, that's Maybe pricey. Maybe if the price point was lower, you yeah, could risk I'd the illness. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in, in, in the case, in the case of one of these cauliflower shortages, you can, of course, grow your own cauliflower or attempt to. And we'll have more on that right after this message. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be. And it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> Well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And we're back. Uh, thank you, sponsor. Uh, okay, so you want to grow your own cauliflower? Do ya? Do ya? It is a question you should ask yourself because... <laughs> While it's not as difficult as farmers thought when it was first brought to the United States, it's not easy. It's not the easiest vegetable in the patch. (laughs) Something I wrote and was very proud of myself. (laughs) I would say if it's something you could undertake if you have a bit 
of practice growing vegetables under your belt. It's maybe like a mid-level, mid-level. Yeah, I wouldn't start with cauliflower. If okay. you're like me, uh, I kill all the poor plants in my oh. care. It, it might not be for you, but if if you've got some experience, yeah, give it a shot if you're at all interested. Yeah, uh, our, our very own website, HowStuffWorks.com, yeah. has some advice for us. It does. According to the site, you should start your seeds indoors about four to six weeks before you plan on moving them into an outdoor garden. So I guess this is assuming you're going to do a transplant. <laughs> yes, uh, I mean, I mean, also, yeah, uh, it's it's generally good to to start seeds indoors rather than outdoors. Yes, it's easier. Yeah. Um. It and if you're going for a spring crop. You should figure out the average date of the last frost and plant your transplants for um, four to six weeks before that. Uh, and they'll take about two months to mature. To protect the white cauliflower, which is, like we said, the most common, probably what you'll be growing um, from discoloration, you can tie the leaves of the top of the flower when it's about the size of an egg over it. But I think most modern varieties do this naturally. Yeah. They self-blanch. Self it's called blanching. Yes. Um, and cauliflower needs a lot of water. It should be planted deeply to keep it from getting too top heavy. And it likes space. That sounds a lot like me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Annie Reese, plant her deeply. <laughs> Give me some space. Give me some space. <laughs> Start me in the spring or the fall. I like cold weather. <laughs> That's true. This is all true. <laughs> I found my vegetable spirit animal. <laughs> spirit vegetable? Spirit vegetable. Yes. Spirit sure. animal doesn't make sense. No. Uh, anyway, good luck to all you adventurous green thumbs out there. But whether you are choosing to grow your own cauliflower or just buying them at the store for whatever price the store is giving you for it that day, uh, let's let's talk about cooking with cauliflower. Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, so first, when you buy it, uh, if, if you store it properly, loosely wrapped in plastic, not the cellophane wrap it probably came in because oh, yeah? that promotes mold. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so you, you should wrap it in your own plastic okay. and put it in your crisper drawer, unwashed, uncut, and it should be able to keep for about two to five days. Yeah. So plan ahead. Yeah. Um, Eating it uh, uh, raw or steamed will give you the most nutrients out of the thing. Yes. If you boil it, you can lose up to 50% of the nutrients after 10 minutes, Whew. which is quite a bit. Even if you're putting nutrients back in via Velveeta. Not... <laughs> yeah, that healthy, healthy Velveeta. Yeah. <laughs> Cauliflower often receives the criticism that it's boring, are bland, are smelly when it's cooked. But uh, it's a great flavor absorber and has a pretty similar mouthfeel to starches. So my argument is perhaps if you feel this way about a food, you have not found the way to cook it in a way that you will enjoy it. Yeah. Um, or the way that the vegetable that best serves the vegetable. Absolutely. Not to say I'm sure it's perfectly reasonable not to like something. I guess. But... But don't give up. Like if you've only yeah. had bad cauliflower, but you've only had it like the mushy. One, yeah. Then you haven't really had it. Yeah. Try it. Give it another shot. Yeah. Some of the stranger, lesser known uses I found for cauliflower when I was looking this up include cauliflower cupcakes and cauliflower ice cream. Huh. That's uh, I, I I bet it's 
I, I think I just, I, I feel like a hypocrite because I was just like, just try, try everything. Yeah. Always be adventurous and try <laughs> the stuff. And I'm like, ugh. Oh, we turned around immediately on that. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I think it probably would be good in the same vein that you can have zucchini brownies and. Okay. It just, I'm more surprised that I've never heard of this because if you didn't get this impression already, <laughs> I have cooked a lot of cauliflower things. This very weekend, in fact. Yes, I <laughs> cooked an ungodly amount of cauliflower this weekend. And, and you went on a little bit of a cauliflower bender. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in just half a second. <laughs> uh, uh, other, other popular ways to, to eat it around the world. We already mentioned, um, India's alu gobi. Um, there, there's also recipes for like roasting it with, with turmeric mm-hmm. or, uh, or frying it. Yes. In general. Fried vegetables are kind of no longer vegetables, but they're so tasty. Yeah. This, yeah. I mean, this says lightly fried. Oh, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> that's better than completely fried, I guess. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Eastern Europe has a uh, thick cauliflower soup mm-hmm. that it enjoys. Another popular way, the first way I ate it after I realized that Velveeta was not the only way to eat it, was um, roasted with olive oil, vinegar, and garlic. Huh. And... I, now that I've tried so many ways of eating cauliflower, I love buffalo cauliflower and Mexican cauliflower rice. And because it has that similar mouthfeel to starch, you can substitute it for things like potatoes, pizza crust. This year I made um, our stuffing at Thanksgiving instead of using cornbread. I used cauliflower and it was oh. amazing. And oh, I'm not the yeah. only one that says that. I have picky brothers <laughs> and they loved it. You can also make cauliflower steaks. Cauliflower steaks? Mm-hmm. Which I made on my <laughs> weekend excursion of all the cauliflower. <laughs> um, my uh, my, my Daryl Autry cooking tip of the day. Uh, Daryl is a dear friend of mine here in Atlanta. Um, uh, if you If you roast it sprinkled with some unsweetened cocoa powder on top, that it's, sounds good. It's real good. That sounds really good, actually. It's a beautiful flavor combination. So, yeah. I need to meet this Daryl Autry. I, I agree. We should we should definitely have him <laughs> come hang out. Just and, give me all your cooking tips. And cook us food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really should give cauliflower a chance because um, it, it, it has, it, it, it's, it really is a good, healthy vegetable to, to eat. I've found so much stuff to do with this and there's way too much to go into so here's some of the highlights cool cauliflower has zero fat high in vitamin c right behind citrus fruit one cup of cooked cauliflower contains 73 percent of the recommended daily value of vitamin c and vitamin c is good for healing wounds strengthening your immune system and iron absorption so that's great good times there yep it's high in vitamin k which is great for bone development and the good kind of blood clot formation. Yes. <laughs> it's an anti-inflammatory and it contains choline, which aids in brain development. It's also high in folic acid, fiber to help out your digestive tract, potassium and phytochemicals, which preliminary research suggests could possibly stimulate the growth of enzymes that fight cancer. Cauliflower has a fair amount of glucosinolates. Uh, naturally occurring organic compounds consisting of sulfur and nitrogen. So that's what you're smelling when, yeah, when it's cooking. Okay. Yep. Smell aside, glucosinolates have been linked with reduced colon and rectal cancer risks. 
by repairing damaged DNA and slowing the growth of mutated cancer cells. Huh. And the way they think this happens is um, as you prepare, cook, and chew your cauliflower, the glucosinolates break down into compounds and phytochemicals like indoles and sulforaphane, both of which are particularly interesting to scientists for their possible cancer-preventing effects. Ha! Huh. Related note about sulforaphane, when consumed regularly, it also helps protect the skin against damage from UV radiation and lowers your blood pressure. Huh. Both indoles and sulforaphane have been shown to help slow the progression of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. Wow. So they sound like might be something you want in your diet. Yeah. A 1999 research paper from TNO Nutrition and Food Research Institute in the Netherlands called Brassica Vegetables and Cancer Prevention, Epidemiology and Mechanisms, found that glucosinolates in brassica vegetables could have a kind of shielding effect against cancer. Um, and they reached this conclusion through six cohort studies and 74 case control studies looking at the relationship between the consumption of these vegetables, including cauliflower, and cancer risk. 64% of the case studies found an inverse relationship between risk of cancer at all sites, but most importantly in lung, colon, rectal, and stomach cancers, and high, which equals five servings a week, consumption of brassica vegetables. Huh. The scientists did note that um, other studies should separate more clearly the impact of brassica vegetables versus vegetables in general. Yeah. But I mean, you know, 64% is, and, and I mean, like, like that, that is a lot of cauliflower consumption per week or other brassica yeah. stuff. But I mean, I'd, I'd eat Brussels sprouts five times a week. <laughs> I think I hit that goal. <laughs> Especially this week, dude. Especially this week, because again, I'm eating all cauliflower all the time right now. But in general, brassica vegetables, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. Um, a more recent, 2013 meta-analysis out of China looking at associations between brassica vegetables and breast cancer specifically found evidence that high intake of cruciferous vegetables could significantly reduce the risk of breast cancer. But further research was needed to reach a definitive conclusion. And um, cauliflower could also be a good thing to eat during pregnancy since it has essential folate. Uh, according to the CDC, this stuff can help prevent fetal birth defects of the brain and spine, like spina bifida. Huh. And on top of this, there's research that cruciferous vegetables might help balance your estrogen levels. Oh. Yes. Okay. So all of that in mind, the aggregate nutrient density index score rates cauliflower in the top 20 healthiest foods, which is determined by the amount of nutrients versus the number of calories. And all of that being said, for me, I'm always wary of... Um, research specifically with cancer, complicated um, diseases, illnesses like that, because there are so many things yeah. at uh, play. N- no matter how carefully a study controls for, for different factors and, and no matter how large a cohort of, yes. of patients being studied, there's, there's just a lot going on there and yeah. a lot that we don't understand yet about fully understand yet about the human body Mm -hmm. and and the way that different things interact within the human body, Um, which is fascinating to me and real scary (laughs) because you'd you'd think that, you know, over the past few thousand years, we would have paid special attention to figuring out how this thing works out that we're walking around in. Still kind of a big mystery, just stumbling through. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but there's a lot going on. It's it's not that people are trying. 
Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so t- I guess take all that with a grain of salt. Um, uh, yeah, but not too many grains of salt. This is pretty, um, substantial amount of research looking into this. And even if it's not the headline that uh, so many scientific papers want to run, like, can cauliflower cure cancer or whatever? It can't. It can help <laughs> maybe, but it's healthy. It's a healthy vegetable. I think we can safely say that. <laughs> yes, ab- absolutely. Um, it, again, depending on how you prepare it. Uh, yeah, be- don't cook out all the nutrients and the taste. Right? It has a lovely taste. It does. Yeah. So I think that's about all we have to say for cauliflower. Yeah. Uh, I hope that you're as amazed as we were. This is one of those topics uh, that, that walking into it, like I, I knew I knew that I'd had some like really good like like cauliflower mash like as a substitute for mashed potatoes and that that was tasty but (laughs) (laughs) that was the extent of your knowledge but i didn't really know that i would be talking about fractals today like that (laughs) That surprised me as well (laughs) yeah um so yeah this this is thank you thank you all for for coming along with this on this journey of learning this learning journey this cauliflower trick yeah (laughs) <laughs> um uh for further thanks to our uh audio producer for the week Jerry Rolland who is a delight also it's her birthday right now happy yeah. birthday it's not her birthday when you're listening to this probably no but it is right now but it is right this very moment um <laughs> and uh yeah oh um hey hey y'all if uh there's something else that you would like us to take a, a trek a verbal podcast trek about <laughs> tell us about it yeah, you can get in touch with us. We have an email address now. It is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. Yeah. Uh, we also, I think, have like an Instagram account. It's at foodstuff, I believe. Yes, that is correct. I'm new to Instagram, so this is going to be quite a journey for me. Yeah. A personal journey. <laughs> get ready for all the pictures of cauliflower substitutions. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. I hope that lots more good stuff is coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, 
LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March. And ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free.